0: Our sermon text this morning is Psalm 87. This is God's word, good, beautiful, and true. Of the sons of Korah, a psalm, a song. He has founded his city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistia too and Tyre along with Cush and will say this one was born in Zion. Indeed of Zion it will be said this one and that one were born in her and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples this one was born in Zion. As they make music they will sing all my fountains are in you. Let's pray. Father I thank you for your word that in it you show us who you are, and thus you show us who we are. So I pray that in these moments, as we look at Psalm 87, that you would drive the truth of what's here into our hearts, engage us in our minds' imaginations, engage us in our hearts' affections, and in our hands' actions to be people who love what you love, who value what you value. Make us people who cling to your grace. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So one of my favorite uh, scenes in film history is from a movie called Antoine Fisher. And if you haven't seen it, I recommend checking it out. It came out in 2002, so some spoiler alerts here, but it's a movie that's been out for 18 years. Um, (laughs) Now, I won't do a full recount of the movie, but it's based on a true story about a young man named Antoine Fisher, whose life up to the point of when we meet him in the movie, when he's a young adult, has been um, hard to say the least, um, his father was killed before he was born. His mom got mixed up some, some in some uh, in some things, and he wound up being born in prison. And so he was born, taken from his mom, and put into an orphanage where she was supposed to pick him up after she got out of prison, but she never she never showed up. And so Antoine Fisher, as a little baby, gets put into foster care, and he winds up, unfortunately. In a foster home where he's mistreated, where he's abused um, physically, he's abused emotionally. And um, he, by the time he's 18, he's fleeing from his foster home. And to avoid homelessness, he winds up joining the Navy. And when he's in the Navy, he, he winds up getting into some fights, getting into some trouble because he has this temper, because he's carrying around with him the wounds of his childhood. All the, the, the terrible things that had happened to him, his, uh, the legacy that he inherited from his uh, unfortunate past. And so he's getting into fights. He has to go to therapy. And in therapy, he decides, I'm going to find my birth family. And so he does. He finds an aunt, and he eventually meets his mother. he um, returns back to his aunt's house after meeting his mom. It's, it's a wonderful scene. He's walking up the steps, and the door flings open. And instead of just seeing his aunt, who he met earlier, just one person, the door flings open, and there is a house filled with aunts and uncles and cousins. And as he walks in, he's, he's, he's embraced. He's meeting all these family members. He's being hugged, and suddenly this man, who had been abandoned, who had been left, who had been alone, who had been mistreated, finds himself welcomed in to a home that he didn't know he had and to a family that he did not know he had. And then uh, the family gets quiet. They open the door to the dining room. First thing you see is a table, and it's, it's filled with food. This great feast has been prepared to welcome him home, to welcome this lost son home. And surrounding the table are the elders of the family and the matriarch of the family, his grandmother. She tells him to come over. And he sits down and she takes his hands and hers. She looks into his eyes and she's her eyes are filling with tears. She caresses his face. And then through those tears, she says, Welcome. And then the family explodes in joy and jubilation, and they begin to dig in. And again, this man who had only known abandonment, had only known abuse and hardship, suddenly found himself home, never to be alone again. He was welcomed home. That scene from Antoine Fisher is what we actually have here in Psalm 87. Um, Psalm 87 is a welcome home to people who did not know they had a home. It's a welcome home to folks with bad histories and bad backgrounds and wrong last names. It's a door flung open to hurting women and men and, and boys and girls with a seat at the table and a family ready to greet. Now, I know that sounds odd, but stick with me. Because I think if we understand the background, that Psalm 87 is one of the most surprising and profound and beautiful passages in all the Old Testament. So I want to approach um, this psalm this morning by looking at a couple of different angles. And the first one's this, the home, the home. That's the first three verses, the home. This psalm talks about Zion. It's about Zion. Now that word, Zion, is a poetic name for Jerusalem. It's one that points to what made Jerusalem in the Old Testament such a central and special place, not that it as a physical location was more holy than any other place, but that it was significant because it was there in Jerusalem that God was starting uh, His work of making a home for His people, making a home with His people. And so if you're reading through the Old Testament and you see the word Zion, it's not just another word for Jerusalem. It's a word that points to that special significance that Jerusalem had, being the place where God's grace was at work. Of course, all of this, we know the other side of Jesus, all of this was pointing forward to Jesus Christ when God not just made a dwelling place in a temple, in a location, but he became one of us. But that's getting a little ahead of ourselves. (laughs) So Zion. Zion, when you hear that, that's God making his home. That's what it means in verse 1. It says he's founded his city on the holy mountain. Or why God is said to love the gates of Zion more than all the other cities of Jacob, more than all the other uh, cities and inhabit, habitations uh, of the people of Israel. Or why he calls Zion the city of God in verse 3. All of this is pointing to the idea that Zion Is the place where God has moved to town. God has moved to our neighborhood to be with us. So that's the first idea, the home, Zion. The second one's this, the welcome, the welcome. Verse three is where it begins to unpack a second significant thing about Zion. The first is that it's where God's making his home. Well, the second significant thing is not only that God is beginning to make his home, but it's who is welcomed home. Who is welcomed home into this place, this home that God is making? Who can claim Zion as their hometown? Or as this psalm puts it over and over again, who, uh, who will God say about this one was born in Zion? Well, we get a list here. And this list, honestly, is a little bit shocking. Among the people listed as born in Zion, welcome to this place where God is making his home were these people. It says Rahab. Rahab was a poetic name for Egypt. And so you have Egypt, maybe the most uh, notorious of (laughs) Israel's enemies in its background. Egypt was the place where the people of Israel, their ancestors, had been in bondage, in slavery. So Rahab is counted Who else is counted? Babylon. At the time that this psalm was written, Babylon was the greatest threat to Israel year in, year out. It was the greatest uh, military threat. It was the most powerful nation in the world. It wasn't a friendly nation (laughs) to God's people. It was its biggest threat. So we have Egypt. We have Babylon. Who else is listed? Philistia. Uh, The Philistines were the most constant threat throughout Israel's history. In fact, if we read through the historical books of the Old Testament, we see for hundreds of years, that constant, almost constant warfare. So Egypt, Babylon, Philistia. Uh, it mentions Tyre. Tyre is a, a city um, on the coast to the, um, to the west of Israel. It was actually the source of the worship of Baal. And again, if you read through the historical books, you'll see that that was the biggest religious threat. The people of Israel. So you have Egypt and Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, and then it mentions Cush, which is another name for Ethiopia. Now they weren't enemies of Israel. In fact, they were probably allies if they knew about each other at all. But what this is is the people who were writing the Psalm. Ethiopia or Cush was probably the furthest place from them, it's it's 3,500 miles away. Uh, they're thinking, this is the other side of the world. It may have been the kingdom furthest from them that they actually knew about. And so, this is the list. Egypt, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, and Cush. This is remarkable. This is utterly remarkable. It's like a list of the people the Israelites would, would find least likely to care about God and what he was doing. The people that they would think were least likely to be welcomed home there in Zion. But there it is. There it is in Psalm 87, plain as day. The grace of God will extend beyond the narrow confines of ethnic Israel to create a widely diverse kingdom with God as king. And that diversity here in Psalm 87 is part of God's goal and part of God's plan. God's grace will extend beyond the resistance of Egypt and Babylon or Philistia, or Tyre, and it will extend beyond the uh, geographical distance to Cush. His grace will go to the other end of the world. Imagine the first time that this song was sung in worship there in Jerusalem, because that's what this was, a song written for worship. So imagine you're there. Go back in time. Imagine you're there, and it tells us at the beginning of the psalm that it's sung by the sons of Korah, and the sons of Korah were priests there at the temple, and they start singing this new song. You're excited, and you hear them sing the words of verse 3, glorious things are said of you, city of God, and you're like, yes, this is great. And You're thinking, well, maybe they're going to start listing all the tribes of Israel, Judah and Benjamin, uh, Levi, Dan, Asher, Naphtali, all the tribes. You're thinking that. But then they start singing in verse 4, I will record Rahab, Egypt, and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. This is quoting God. Philistia, too, and Tyre, along with Cush. And I will say, this one was born in Zion. And then, so imagine you're there. You turn and you look at the singers and you're thinking, what? What? But then you remember you remember who's singing this song? The Sons of Korah. I think understanding who wrote and sang this song, the Sons of Korah, gives us an, an understanding of what this means. Now if you know anything about the book of Numbers, you'll know that Korah, the person that these singers were named after, these priests, um, Korah was Moses's nephew. He was the nephew of Moses. And in number 16, he rose up as a self-styled religious leader in opposition to Moses. And Korah led this rebellion. Um, And he led many people wrong, many, many people wrong. He brought destruction upon himself and others. Um, Korah, in the history of Israel, was almost like the first Judas Iscariot. We say Judas and we immediately think betrayal of Jesus you were an Israelite and you said Korah, you would immediately think resistance and betrayal of Moses. Korah betrayed his uncle. Korah resisted what God was doing through Moses. And here are his descendants singing this song, this welcome song, to these far-flung enemies of Israel. And you realize that the sons of Korah knew better than anyone, that God's grace is greater than a bad last name, that God's grace is greater than a wrong background. God's grace is bigger and greater, more powerful than a bad history. They knew, if anybody knew, That the bad start to your story doesn't mean it has to end that way. Because even though they were the sons of Korah, they were now priests who served the people and served God in the temple. They were priests who wrote songs that became scripture that's been used in worship for thousands of years by billions of people to declare the praise of God. That God can bend even the worst of stories toward himself for his glory, and for our good. Even our bad stories, even our bad backgrounds, our bad reputations. This is the welcome. God is making his home here, not for condemnation, but for grace. And the doors are flung open wide to welcome us home. Whether we're from Egypt, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, Cush, done. <laughs> wherever we are, the doors are flung open wide, and the call is to come home. That brings me to, the, to my final section. We have uh, the, the, the home, the welcome, and this is the song. You know, there's a danger here uh, that this, this welcome that's called out, it's not just generic. I mentioned that list of nations and if you look back at the history of their their interaction with the Israelites, there was some real harm. There was real injustice that had happened to God's people from people in Egypt, from people in Babylon, for instance. That's real injustice. And Psalm 87 is not God asking his people to simply shut up and pretend that slavery in Egypt was, wasn't bad or shut up and pretend that Babylon wasn't a threat or or any of those things. Psalm 87 is not God winking at those historical injustices. It's not him pretending like they don't matter. Psalm 87 is an invitation to people who find themselves in Egypt, in Babylon, in Philistia, in Tyre, in Cush, to uh, lay down their arms and to come to him and find a new identity and to be reconciled to others, truly reconciled in Him. Psalm 87 is an invitation to not just turn from maybe a bad reputation or bad background that we don't like. It's even an invitation to turn from our sin against God and against others. And that's why verse 7 has this song. As they make music, this this list that He's just made of every tribe, tongue, and nation— Uh, Psalm 87 points forward to the book of Revelation. They make this song, All my fountains are in you. The call to Egypt, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre, and Cush, the call to us and done today or wherever we may be, is to come to God and find in Him our all. To find in Him our identity. To hear this welcome this morning and to sing this song, All my fountains, all my fountains are in you. Here's the good news for us this morning. Jerusalem as a physical location of God beginning His work wasn't the end of the story. That work of making a home in Jerusalem pointed forward to God coming to us in Jesus Christ. Jesus who came to be one of us. Jesus who came to take on our sins, to walk in our steps. Jesus who faced down and defeated death and rose in victorious life in his resurrection and in turn gives us that victory. Jesus is the one to whom the idea of Zion, God making his home with his people, pointed all along. And because of Jesus, this God moving into town is not limited to just one physical location in the Middle East. God has made his home with us throughout this world. And now his kingdom has spread to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. Us, united to Jesus by faith and united to others in him. So that today we can know that in Jesus, we are those whose home is with God. We are the ones welcomed home. That in Jesus, we are the ones who are called from wherever we are and whoever we are to find in him our all. That we can look to Jesus, the one who called a wide variety of people to follow him. Women, men, children, fishermen, tax collectors, widows, the poor, the rich, etc. We can look to him and we can begin to be people who love what he loves and value what he values. No matter what our backgrounds say that we are called here and done to live out the reality of that kingdom in the here and now, that kingdom, this new home to which we belong together. In conclusion, uh, this picture of Psalm 87 is a profoundly diverse kingdom, with people who look and talk and act differently from one another, brought together to be people who receive God's incredible grace. To put it another way, diversity in God's kingdom is not a problem to be solved. It's a reality to be celebrated. It's part of God's plan. It's part of his creative work. Diversity is. And since it matters to God, it should matter to us as well. Our city of Dunn is a diverse community in a lot of ways. It's diverse racially. It's diverse economically. It's it's diverse generationally. So, what that means for us is people who want to reflect the kingdom of God. um, What it means for us is that we can step into what this means for us as a church. We can begin to pray about topics that affect the broad range of our community. We can be a place where difficult conversations happen, where blind spots can be revealed and challenged, not out of a sense of guilt or shame, but because all of our fountains, all of our good is found in Jesus. So we don't have to fear the things that keep us divided. We don't have to fear the truth of uh, historical realities or even present realities. We can face in truth because all of our fountains, as we sing in this song, are in Jesus. So, let's be people who find our home in Jesus. Let's find our welcome in Him. And let's be people that hold the door open for this city. People who fling the doors of the kingdom open and say, welcome to this weary world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your good word. I thank you for your grace and your kindness. I thank you that we can come to you With our bad reputations we can come to you even with our sin we find a home in you we found a welcome in you we find reconciliation with you and we are reconciled with others in you not false reconciliation but true reconciliation where we can see each other and love each other and honor each other i pray lord as you begin to do this work in our church to make us a local church that reflects the diversity and the beauty of your kingdom here and done, I pray, God, that in all of this, you would um, motivate us by your grace and your kindness, that you would give us great joy in seeing you glorified, you lifted up in this work. And I pray all of this in the name of Jesus, who is worthy. Amen.